Welcome to the More Than Hearers podcast. I'm host one, Orion Williams. I'm here with host two, Peter Willis. By the way, those numbers are not in order of preference or um, importance or anything like that. It's uh, in order of appearance. Uh, and with Peter hasn't appeared. Say hi, Peter. Please just say hi. Hi, Peter. Okay. You, you just did that. All right, so we, so that's us. You know, we talk Bible on this podcast, and we've been doing that for, well, uh, 19 episodes at least. We haven't done it for 20 yet, but we will by the end of this one. We'll, we will have done that for 20 episodes. and If we make it through this introduction. If, if <laughs> we, have a, we have some big ifs to handle today. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you really want to contact us because we said some bible opinion stuff that you're like i gotta answer that or whatever um you know you can do that at podcast at more than hearers.com and if you just want to say hey you know i'm one of your remaining three listeners um you know great job still listen every week you can tell us at facebook.com slash more than hearers and if you want to hit us up, we got the, the Twitter contacts. You can hit me up at, at Orion Plays Music. Peter, at MTH underscore Peter. And today we're in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Uh, Peter, did, you've done some prep on this. I, I have, but I have a question. Okay. Um, uh, our listeners wouldn't be privileged to this information, but uh, I had a root canal this morning. And I have also done something terrible to my back. And so I'm not sure if I heard you mention the email address or not. I did. Okay, I I zoned yeah. out for just a minute. Yeah. I, if I move wrong, I can't breathe. Okay, not drugs though. It's not drugs. No, not I actually not drugged at all. I did take <laughs> two a leave today. Uh, I have had those, uh, but apart from that, I'm not a big fan of opioid-based painkillers, so none of those. So you mentioned uh, root canal. I did. And then my tooth hurt because I am going in tomorrow morning for a, uh, it's an endodontist appointment. Yes, I, yeah, yeah. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that person does. But th- they're going to see me and evaluate on whether or not I need a root canal before my crowns, which come in in a week um, to, to be f- final fitted, um, to, you know, that whole thing. So. Yeah, and my birthday's in a couple days, and so it's a it great is. time to be in pain. Yeah, it's your yours and my scheduling both are poor. Yes. Yeah, I, we got to stop doing this. It's uh, I know how old you're going to be. It comes with the age. I hate that. I, Why? That, see, that sounds dumb to me. That like, oh, you're oh, you're going to be forty. Yeah, that's about the time. The warranty's up. The three year thirty six thousand miles is over. And, and I think that's trash because I've had. I've had issues like this and others since my late teens. Really? But it's convenient to blame them on an arbitrary number created on the calendar system. But isn't that what's dumb about it? Is that, I mean, this, like, are you trying to tell me people, like, you never had issues until you hit whatever magical age number and then all of a sudden everything went to, went to crud, you know? I will say this as someone already in their 40s, a couple of years. Um, my back injury, I believe, is from... Something I've been good at my whole life, I now do wrong. Uh, Sitting? Sleeping wrong. Uh, You slept wrong, I've been a great sleeper my whole life, but uh, not until I got to my 40s did I discover you can sleep wrong. Yeah. I I never knew I had the opportunity to do it incorrectly. See, I hurt my neck sleeping at least once a year. 
Yeah, see, that's... Uh, I've been doing it for a decade or more. You're ahead of your time. Yeah, thank you. Sir. I, and that explains What why an honor. You have more gray in your beard than I do, I guess. But I don't know. Uh, anyway, I, I, welcome uh, back if you've been with us for a while. I don't even know how to segue. I've usually created segues. If you're still there, <laughs> this thing for on? sticking around. Whoa, McFly. Um, we're in the book of Ephesians. If you... Bueller. Uh, if you want to get a Bible out, unless you're driving, please don't get a Bible out. Uh, this is the only time we'll encourage you not to open a Bible is if you're behind the wheel of an automobile. Now, if you're passengering, by all means, uh, pull it up on your digital device or pick up a paper Bible. We're in the book of Ephesians. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, if you were here for Ephesians chapter 1, you know it's Paul's letter to the Ephesians, maybe. Um, probably. It's... It's how we're going to approach it. But we're in chapter four. Uh, and on my way here, I'm, here's my prep process. I read and study the material, and then I start running the, like if I'm preaching on a Sunday morning. I prep, I do all my study, I do all my uh, research, just dig into the word, I look at commentaries and uh, original Hebrew language or Greek language, depending on what whether I'm Old or New Testament and all of that. And then I start formulating an outline in my head. And then uh, if it's a Sunday morning message, usually by the end of the day, Thursday, I try to have the message done, written, but in my head. And then Friday, Saturday, I run it in my head all day long and just run it. I'm, I'm doing the message in my head and I'm making little edits and rearranging things and that kind of thing so that Sunday I'm ready to go. So my prep for this I'm like, I'm going to open with how excited I am about this chapter. And then I realized I say that about almost every chapter. Yeah. Does it count anymore? If That's why I I even mention it. Because like, I don't want to cheapen it by going, oh, I'm really excited oh, about this one. this one's one. good. Like, this guy's always excited. Yeah. But it's exciting stuff. Uh, there's a lot of really good stuff. And Orion and I were chatting about it even before we turned on the microphones of, um, you'd look at the beginning of the chapter and at the end of the chapter and you go, how do I reconcile these two with each other? And um, we're going to wrestle with that. So here we go. Uh, verse one, as a prisoner for the Lord, then Paul's speaking, I urge you, Ephesians, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient Bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to, one, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And, and here's why I love this. There's a lot of reasons. There's there's a few things in here we're gonna we're gonna touch on, but Ephesians four three make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. When I was a headstrong teenager, much different than being a headstrong adult now, but when I was a headstrong teenager, I was going to this church. And we had this youth group that was fun and it was growing, and um, but all the other cool youth groups in the area had names for their youth groups and theme verses and this and that and the other thing. And why can't we be cool like them? And my youth pastor goes, "Well, come up with something. Come up with a name and a, a verse. If you if you think so strongly about it, come up with something." And so I started digging into the Bible, and I didn't want what everybody else was using, which I'm too old to remember what those were now. But I remember that I stumbled across Ephesians four three, and was just as a I think. 14-year-old maybe, just enamored by it. 
It's a terrible, not a terrible verse, but it's a it's an odd verse to use as like a youth group theme verse or a yeah, men's I'm trying ministry to figure out theme why verse. You thought that was a good verse to. I didn't. Cling. That's not. That wasn't. Oh, the, okay. That wasn't where I came with it. Why were you enamored with it? I don't know. I, I mean, don't know. It's, it's a beautiful verse, but it's it, like you said. It's odd that as a fourteen-year-old dude, you thought that that was something special. It is special, but it's cool that you recognized it. Like growing up, like we memorized John three sixteen. If you grew up in church, uh, Romans three twenty-three, Romans eight twenty-eight, maybe even Hebrews nine twenty-seven. Yeah, some whatever. We memorize these verses, these typical verses, and I have had Ephesians four three memorized probably since I was fourteen. So almost 30 years. Um, and I just, it's got a special place in my heart. And I think it's a great foundational verse for those of us who profess to be followers of Christ, who belong to any sort of fellowship. And, and here's the thing, uh, you should belong to some sort of fellowship. Amen. If you go, I don't belong to any sort of fellowship, that doesn't apply to me. Well, you need to belong to some sort of fellowship. Mm-hmm. Am I saying you have to go to church every Sunday? No, I'm saying you need to belong to some sort of fellowship of believers. This is not a solo act. We weren't meant to go alone. Jesus gathered 12 dudes around him, and he didn't really need 12 dudes around him. So if he needed 12 dudes around him, which he didn't, but still, you need 12 dudes or 12 chicks or, oh, did I just say chicks on the podcast? Oh, man. Chicks and dudes? That's cool. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are offended by it. I don't want to offend anybody. If you need 12 female people companions or 12 male people or six and six or five and seven whatever uh you need people around you and in that you need to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace and that means that what happens is, is even as we study these scriptures we bump into things where it happened to us in romans where uh you read it this way and i read it that way and we don't agree and sometimes that doesn't matter what matters is that we keep unity through peace. Instead of going, I'm done with that guy. He believes this way. And how could you even believe that way? That's ridiculous. And he only reads from this translation. And that's ridiculous. Ah, just, it's easier to put the guns down and the sticks and stones. And do you love Jesus? If the answer is yes, cool. We have common ground. Let's focus on that instead of on where we don't have common ground. Nice. But that's preceded by be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And this is a challenge for me because if I see wrong, I want to address wrong right now. I don't want to be patient. I don't want to bear with other people. I want them to know that they're wrong and that I'm right. And, <laughs> and that, wow, that gave, my, gave me away a little bit there. That's really <laughs> the truth of it a lot of times is I'm less interested in people being wrong as I am in me being right. But that's why this is here. It's because it's our nature. And Paul uh, saw it in the church in Ephesus and chose to address it. I, I think that when you, like, it, it is, it's not self-deprecating, but whatever, you, however you want to say it, um, you know, by pointing out that you want to be right. Yeah. Okay. It's not that you want others to be wrong. That It's the opposite, right? Like, if, if yeah. you're really, like, critically analyzing this, even in the spirit, like, you know, according to the spirit of Christ— when those of us who are who really care, and I know you're this way and I'm this way, we really care about the truth. The truth is is this thing that is important. Okay, it's not important because we think it's important. It's important because God is truth. Isn't it more important, Ryan, to love people over giving them the truth? Isn't giving the way, them the truth? 
a way of loving them? I agree with you. Isn't correcting I, someone in love, love yeah, uh, aligning them towards truth? And I mean, isn't I mean, and love, and love like, isn't that like? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to separate them. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not the way and the life. Oh, the truth, nah, not not such a big deal. Like he's literally defined as truth. It's one of his defining qualities. It's important. He God is love and he is truth. You can't really divide these things. I, and I totally agree. I asked the question almost sarcastically just to broach the discussion because there are many movements in the church today, and I, I use that gently or carefully, um, that say what matters most is that we love people. Above everything else, we've got to love them. But how? Like you can't say that and then run away. Like you have to account for well, how do you love people? Yeah. And God disciplines those he loves from Scripture. We know that. And if you believe this stuff, if you genuinely believe it, wouldn't your desire to love people to be to present them with all of it in all of its truthfulness, whether it's comfortable or not, because it's what's going to save them from where they are now. Yes, and if you are going to if you believe all this stuff and you received correction from someone, wouldn't you wouldn't you at least give ear to that since I mean we're commanded in here like okay, verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Like is that talking to the one who would be the corrector or the one who would be the correctee? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Both. So so like we have our part to do. I'm not saying that like you know what, whatever the consequences are, we're, you know, we're going to go and just stomp around and, and we're going to be righteous. And that's just what we are. We're hey everyone. We're righteous. All right. No, like we have a part to be and Our part is to be righteous. We can't be righteous for someone else, but the other person's part is to also be righteous. So like we just do our, our part. The, we've been having this discussion. I've been teaching a class on acts and we've been having this discussion in this class that there has been for some time, there are these, um, I don't know if I want to call them preachers or evangelists or whatever. These these people that go out and are, uh, I guess, evangelists maybe, but they're going out and they're giving a message trying to get people to come to the knowledge of Jesus. And they're giving their testimony. But they're tweaking the details a little bit just to make it sound a little better. And what does it hurt because I'm saving souls? And what hurts is that it's not truth. If, God forbid, someone who came to the knowledge of Christ through something you shared that wasn't true, if that person discovered that it wasn't true, how disillusioned are they going to end up being? Thank you. Yeah. You're, you stand to do more damage than you think you're fixing by being false. There have been, uh, I want to say, church movements throughout history that have used uh, trickery yeah. to present the gospel I mean, you know, for for the last hundreds of years, the churches that still exist today, that they they literally disguised their true belief to in order to get a foot in the door, and then they, you know, whatever they slowly presented the details later, and but but like you say, those who are savvy enough to go, hey, wait a minute, when when we first started having this discussion, you said this, and now that's not the case. Why should I believe any of this stuff? I mean, you can throw out Jesus. With the bathwater, right, and and so we should never be sullying the gospel with even a, a hint of tainted falsehood. Like we, everything, our 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 words need to be truthful. This I didn't think the discussion was going to go here, but something I was 
giving consideration to on my way here tonight is uh, over this last, not this last summer, but the summer before, uh, my wife and I had dinner with some friends of mine um, out in Florida. There are people I went to Bible college with my first run through. I didn't run all the way through. I, mm. I ran a little bit and then tripped and fell down and <laughs> got asked to step off the stage. But anyway, that, that's neither here nor there. But we were discussing, uh, they were other Gen Xers like myself who grew up in church and then in their adulthood ended up somewhat disillusioned. Um, and they were sharing that they have a lot of friends they grew up with. Uh, this couple, he's actually a missionary's kid. And so he grew up around a lot of church kids. Most of the kids he knew growing up were other missionaries' kids. Um, and we talked about how many people we grew up around and in and around church with have completely walked away from the faith or have been left totally disillusioned. And um, they were sharing with me that they've been trying to come to an understanding of why that is. Why so many people in our friend group, friend group from then, have walked away from the faith. And one of the things I think I've identified is, for me growing up in church, there were a lot of things we were told um, we could do, we couldn't do, or we shouldn't do because the Bible says, or God says, or this, that, or the other thing. And I can't give you specifics right now because this is totally off the hip. But then I get into the Word and I find out they're not true. You know, we were all, a lot of us were brought to Jesus on, pray this little prayer, ask Jesus into your heart, ask him to forgive you of your sins, and you get to go to heaven forever. And yeah, but that's not in the book. That's not what it says. I think prayer is part of it. I think surrendering your life to Christ is absolutely necessary to salvation. But it's not pray this specific prayer, repeat after this guy with the microphone, these 12 lines, bow your head, fill out a little card, and you're going to get out a hell free card. Um, that's not how it works. Faith in Christ or Christianity or whatever you want to call it is so much more than that and yet so much simpler than that at the same time. The truth of it is there's a God who absolutely loves you, who gave up everything for you and asks for your life in return, for you to surrender to him, to let him take control because he gave up so much for you. And it's all out of love. It's not, if you don't, you're going to go to hell. Like, yeah, but... Instead of trying to scare people out of hell, why not make them see how amazing eternity with God is? Sure. Sorry. I totally yeah, no, I, shifted off the... You were feeling that. Yeah, I was. I've been feeling it. Sorry, it's been in my mind. Anyway, here we go. So uh, to that end, um, talking about some of the deception that happens in churches, the next few verses um, touch on this, specifically with some church exposure I've had and some people I know have gotten caught up with some stuff. So starting in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And the reason why I camp on this for a minute is I've had friends and family get involved in churches that are like, oh, you want to come be a part of our church? You should become a member, not I'm not speaking against church membership. That's another episode. <laughs> Just kidding. Um but uh, and if you want to be a member of this church, you need to be a believer. Oh, well, we're believers. Okay, well, have you been baptized? Well, yes, we've been baptized. Well, have you been baptized at our church? Mm, no. In order to be a member, you're going to have to be baptized at our church. Mm. And I had this discussion with these uh, family members of mine and pulled out this verse. Because it says, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. 
We are all called to the same faith. You may call yourself a Baptist or a Presbyterian or Reformed or non-denominational or Assemblies of God or wherever you choose to hang your hat on Sunday mornings. We're all called to one faith, one baptism. It's one God. It's He's one Lord. That's it. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not multiple parallel gods or multiple parallel baptisms. Many paths, one God? No, it's, it's the same God and the same baptism. I, I, I know of at least one church that, that asks for baptism in, yeah, as, as part of the membership thing, uh, like a new baptism thing. And I think you can basically throw the whole lot of their doctrine out. Yeah. Be based on that. I mean, yeah. it's like, oh, well, okay, that not that one. Yeah. <laughs> not that church. Oh, they're, the pastor speaks really well. They just want two baptisms. Yeah. No. Not that church. No, no. Yeah. No. A okay. different church. You try again. Yeah. <laughs> Keep looking. There's, there are more. <laughs> there are there are plenty to choose from. Uh, the, plenty of local gatherings to choose the from. The Yellow Pages no longer really exist. That's how you used to find churches in a new town. But the internet knows where churches are. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed it. That is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. It's out of Psalm 68. And Paul clarifies this in verse 9. He says, What does, quote, he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended, meaning Jesus, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And so I want to ring back. So 9 and 10 are in parentheses. And so I want to go 8 and then jump to 11. If you'll permit me, I'm not leaving any Bible out. I already read 9 and 10. It just gives more continuity to what's being said. So he says, this is why... Uh, Yeah, this is why it says in in Psalm 68, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Verse 11, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is the passage, if you've been around church for any length of time and you've ever heard this phrase, the fivefold ministry gifts. Ryan, you ever heard this phrase? I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, These are the five. Uh, Prophets, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are apparently the big five. Is this claim that we need these five now? Uh, I don't... No, that that's where I was gonna go with it. No, I'm just curious. What what's a five? Because I, I I just I don't personally maintain that we need apostles or prophets uh, at the at this time. I, I I could definitely agree on the apostolic gifting, the prophetic. I think there's a. I'm not gonna say there's not a place for it. Note that I didn't say I don't believe that they exist. Right. I just said I don't think that we ha- we have a need for them. The then, Bible covers everything that we need to know that the apostles and or the prophets would have brought. The rest of it is for discipleship and uh and spreading the gospel. And to be fair, um, That's just my view by the way. No, 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 and that's fine. Uh, on the prophets front, I will say like if you read Acts for instance, um there's these stories where uh, towards the end of Paul's ministry, he's he's leaving. He's left 
the mission field. He's going back to Jerusalem. He's going to get, spoiler alert in case you haven't read Acts, he's going to get arrested and taken to Rome on trial. On his way, he stops at, uh, I can't remember, uh, Philip, the, uh, Philip, one of the seven. He stops at Philip's house. And it says, Philip had daughters who prophesied. And in that context that's used several times in Acts about people who prophesied, it wasn't a foretelling of the future. It was a declaring the wonders of God. Yeah, it, by that definition, you and I are prophets True. right now. I mean, our, our work right now, uh, I think the literal definition, I, for some reason this stuck with me for, for decades, uh, spokesperson for God is what I believe the definition of prophet, prophet is, is. Biblical definition. I, I One who speaks how, for God, I guess you can say. In the context of Ephesians but, 4. But not necessarily prophetic in, in like, like you said, foretelling. Telling even, of the unknown. Even just currently like, oh, this is what God says. And you can just be quoting scripture. Right. Or paraphrasing scripture for that matter. And you are prophesying in that, in that context. And so... I guess I need to revise my previous statement. I did mean the foretelling type, not the current and active. Right. You know. Because I think uh, Ephesians 4 probably references more the foretelling type because why would you need pastors and teachers plus prophets if it was just the declaring the wonders of God person? Why would you need the rest? Well, yeah. Preachers and teachers talk about the wonders of God. Sure. So why would you also need prophets to tell about the wonders of God? Oh, if it weren't the foretelling. Type. Right. Yeah. That's just my... I agree. Yeah, no, it's like yeah. uh, redundant much. You know. Yeah, exactly. So, but the interesting thing in this, um, I, I taught on this passage a long time ago, um, five, six years ago, I guess, isn't that long ago, but still. Um, and I love this because he pulls out this quote from, from Psalm 68. Um, and it says that when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. And it... And it says that Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And if you're sitting here and you're going, I'm not one of those five, did Jesus give me a gift? Yes, absolutely. He gave gifts to all of his people. Um, and I love that it follows with verse 12, to equip his people for the works of service. So if you consider yourself an evangelist and you think that that means that you go out and give the message of the gospel to try and save souls. Based on the description of evangelists here in Ephesians 4, that's not what you're doing as an evangelist. An evangelist is to equip the people for the works of service. Your job as an evangelist is to teach people how to go out and share the gospel. That's what an evangelist does. Like almost evang uh, evangelizer, like uh, that seems to say the same thing, but like, but what, one who equips to evangelize. evangelize. Yeah. But, but I mean, I. I'm skewing the word, I'm sure. There. Yeah, I'm sure there's a better way to say it, but yeah. no, you're right. It's but it, you're, but I I agree with you in that like that's it's a preparatory work. It's not the it's not the work. Yeah, it's a preparatory work. And so if you sit here and you go, I'm not. I don't have one of those five. Cool. Those five are just to get you ready to do what God's gifted you to do. That's their job. Is to build you. It says to equip the people to equip his people, meaning God's people, for the works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We are here to build each other up and get each other ready because He's coming. I hope it's okay to bang this a little bit. Uh, it's not. Do I'm it. Going to bang it, but people. Equipping people for works of service. There's this idea. I've heard it from the 
from the best intentioned people. Uh, now, now, okay, the work, the work part's not important. The faith part's, you know, saved we're by saved grace. by grace. Faith. Yeah. It's the faith part that's the, the most important part. Well, uh, there's a lot in the Bible that that stresses the action words. Faith, maybe the faith is an action too, but you know, work, service, like these are doing words, action words, verbs. This is it's encouraging, emphasizing verbiage, verbs. Yeah. So I, I think it's just another opportunity to remind us that we we don't get to just sit around and believe. That's not what we're called to do. I mean, we're actually called to go do. Stuff. And I think it's delineated really well in this verse. It says to equip his people for works of service. It's to equip people who have come to God. Right. You don't need works to come to God. Right. Yeah, but they're already you, there. Yeah. Once you come to God, there's work to you do. have work to do. Yes. I've shared it this way, probably even on this podcast. I don't know. I've said it so many times. And if you've heard it before, I apologize, but maybe you haven't. One of the things that is quote unquote, I'm air quoting, quote unquote, missing from the Bible. Nothing's missing from the Bible. One of the things that's missing from the Bible is there's these stories. Uh, blind guy, blind since birth. Uh, Bartimaeus is a guy in the Bible, blind since birth. Who sinned? Is that the who sinned one? Uh, I don't think so. Oh. Uh, Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. It's like the day before Palm Sunday. And this guy's calling out, uh, Son of David, have mercy on me, repeatedly. He's hollering. The, the disciples go over and go, Shh, you're kind of causing a scene. And so the guy yells even louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus goes, Go go get that guy. And the apostles are like, You're, you're in trouble now. That's actually not in the Bible. I made that part up. And he gets taken to Jesus, and Jesus goes, What do you want? And the guy goes, I want, I want to see. And Jesus heals him, and he can see. And he's no longer blind. And therefore, no longer able to beg for money by the side of the road. Tomorrow, he has to get up and get a job. Mm. His whole life, his whole way of doing things is gone. He has to start over. He has work to do. Same thing. He didn't have to do any work to get healed by Jesus. He just had to believe and call out to him. And he got healed. But after that healing, his whole life had to start over. That's a great illustration. Uh, it. I'm so struck by it. In so many places in the Bible, we see these guys totally set free. And if you look at it, you go, what are they going to do now? Yeah, next prayer. Uh, teach me a skill, Lord. <laughs> Could I learn chariot repair, please? Because I am like your whole career, your whole source of income has been begging. Yeah. You have two choices. You can get up tomorrow and pretend to be blind and hope nobody was there when it Ooh. happened. Right? Nah. Like, there's some analogy here, folks, of far too many people give their life to Jesus, but go out the next day like it never happened. Yeah. Oh, this is ugly stuff. That's rough. That's truth you speak, but that... Uh, yeah. I didn't or, like hearing that. <laughs> I, I, uh, Did you take pleasure in saying that? <laughs> a little. Uh, <laughs> just a tad. Or you've got to get up the next day and start over. This guy was an adult. Uh, I don't it's, I think it says he's in his 30s. I don't remember. But he's been blind since birth. He, he's qualified to flip burgers. I don't think they flip burgers. I, I don't know what minimum wage entry-level job was in 30 AD. I think but you slung poop. I'm not sure. but it's, I think, It's not good. I think there's always poop to sling. He's not a master carpenter. He's not a master chariot mechanic. He's not a master fisherman. He may not even been that good of a beggar. Uh, who knows? But... <laughs> 
He doesn't even know what carpentry looks like. Right. Like, I had this discussion with somebody before, and they go, well, when Jesus heals, he heals completely. So when he healed him of his blindness, he probably imparted him with some job skill. Super cool. He's still got to go out and get one. Yeah, God still has work to do. Yeah, still got work to do. It's, yeah. yeah, Jesus doesn't make the work already done that we're supposed to do. I mean, that, that's, that would be the, that would be the, the ultimate miracle. Uh, can you make it so I already did some good stuff that, yeah. that you asked me to do? Could you, uh, what do you, when, when Jesus goes, uh, what do you want from me? He goes, I'd like to see and I need a really great resume. Like, doesn't it doesn't happen like it, it, we could go on and on about this for a long time but but it's true once Christ set once we're set free once we come to God there's a lot to do our whole life has to change anyway we're getting way off track and we got a lot a lot of chapter to go verse 14 then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I love this because it's... It's hitting on what the rest of pretty much the rest of the chapter is going to hit on, and it seems to be this central theme for me lately. And, and Orion's already touched on it uh, in this episode, but this idea of we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind and teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Every generation has their false teaching. Paul's day, they had false teachers. And every generation since then has had various types of false teachers and people who follow them. But then somehow we've held on to the central truth of what the gospel is. And how did we do that? By people who knew truth and who were willing to stand for truth. It, that's the key to all of this. Do you want to know how to avoid every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people who are deceitful in their scheming? It's by knowing truth. It's, it's so central to our faith that we know what the Bible says. It's why, it's why we do this podcast. It's why so many other Bible teachers are out there teaching the Bible. The problem is, is there are other people out there twisting the Bible in order to gain, I don't know, fame or importance or money or whatever. I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter what they're trying to gain. The, the fact is, is that... You know, somebody who comes to you and goes, oh, the Bible's not true. It's easy enough to go, you're a moron, I don't want to talk to you. But if somebody goes, oh, the Bible, did you know it says this? Did you know that the Bible says if you ask for a Rolls Royce enough times, God's going to give you one if you're really seeking after God? It, it doesn't say that. It's nowhere in the book. Well, God wants you to be happy. Wouldn't a Rolls Royce make you happy? Well, yeah. Well, then God wants you to have a Rolls Royce. No, it's not in the book. One of the one of my favorite things that our, our pastor at our local church has uh, said, and I don't know if he borrowed it from something else or whatever, but he's he's one of the only ones I've ever heard say it. Uh, maybe the only one. But God wants us to be holy. Ah. Not, I mean, not that he doesn't want us to be happy, but but he definitely, you know, he, he desires us to be holy rather than happy. I mean, what the, both if possible, but holiness is, is the goal. 
And so the key to growing past this fake news teaching, (laughs) sorry, I couldn't resist, is verse uh, 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is the Christ. From him, the whole body, every part, whether you've got the fivefold gift or you got another gift, it doesn't matter. If you're part of the body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We've got to be people of truth. It has to be our, I used this phrase recently, our hallmark. Yes, in love. We've got to do it in love. But what's the point of love if it's done fake? If we tell somebody what they want to hear just because we like them, that's not love. Love is, this is truth. You are off the path. What you've said is not true. If we can't advance the gospel with truth, it's not worth advancing. It doesn't matter what it is you're trying to, whatever platform you're standing on. If you can't do it truthfully, don't stand on it. White lies. Is that what we call things that like supposedly don't hurt anybody? Like they're Yeah, white it, lies. It's just a white lie. Do I look fat in this dress? Oh uh, no. I'm, I'm not wearing a dress, by the way. <laughs> just for clarification. Yeah, uh, th- that that sort of thing where somehow we justify the lie because we think it gets the result that is desired. It makes people feel better. For a time. Uh till they look in a mirror and see that they do look fat in that dress? And then you let them go out in public. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's Way to good. go, buddy. Yeah. Way to go. Yeah. And now you've caused division. Uh, yeah. We could... Too many weird analogies tonight. We're not, <laughs> so we're not using the fat dress analogy for anything. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Um, but it's so important that we stand on truth. Uh, and um, and again, just to, just to harp on this a little bit, verse uh, 16 again. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its grace. No, it's just as each part does its work. I was waiting for a ride to catch it. I was reading elsewhere, and I'm like, wait, what he said? That's not right. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait, what? Uh, We're not going to dwell on it anymore. I I just wanted to do it to be funny. No, I was was just impressed, uh, and I got distracted by the text here. The, The whole body... Uh, grows and builds itself yeah and and i I was like did he mean that because like but then yeah of course because the christ is the head yeah so therefore part of the body you and i also yeah also true right but i think you and i um we're parts of the body yeah whatever that means you know whatever it looks like we are building each other up when we encourage each other, when we hear each other out, when we give gentle correction, when we love each other in this godly way. We're we're building ourselves and each other up. And so, yeah, well, all the more a bigger group of people doing the same, it's just going to be stronger and more reinforced. And it does that, yes, with Christ as the head, but that is the work of the body. Uh-huh. That is the work of the people that make up the body doing that. I mean, that, that's that's part of the work that we have to do. I mean, that's the previous things about building, you know, the works of services to part of that work is to build up the if, body. If you take nothing else from Ephesians four, take this, uh, do your part. Oh, there are other believers depending on you to do your part. Dang. That's the thing. You, you just made it real. I might have to write a book. 
I'm not going to write a book. <laughs> Too much work. <laughs> Get to work. <laughs> no. Uh, verse 17. So I tell you this, Paul says, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So you got to look at these few verses right here and what Paul's saying, and you've got to have some understanding of Roman culture in the first century. Remember that most of the Gentile world that Paul went and preached to was the greater Roman Empire. And Ephesus in particular, which is these passages are kind of supporting passages for the origin of this book really being to Ephesus. But Ephesus had this uh, temple to the goddess Artemis, the goddess of fertility, of life. Uh, the thing to do if you were a follower of Artemis is you went and... Um, uh, got involved with temple prostitutes as a way of quote-unquote worship, which is just disgusting to me to even think of, but whatever. But that was their the futility of their thinking, is we can get closer to the gods by just degrading our bodies with each other. And the other piece of that with Roman cultures, Rome was all about uh, higher thought of the more we can know, the more we can understand, the more we can think, and the more knowledge we can get, and philosophers and all of this other stuff that really in the end just leads to death. You can gain all the knowledge in the world. You could know, you could be Einstein and a bunch of other people all put together, but you're still going to die. There's, there's a futility that, that's in that, of that gaining, trying to gain anything worldly other than trying to know Christ. That's the only promise beyond this place. It's the only life that's not futile when you really break it down. So eh, there's that. Verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I, I, I saw this, and I didn't see it actually when I prepped, but I see it now, and I just want to address it in case somebody gets hung up on it. If you look at verse 21, it says, When you heard about Christ and were taught in him, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. It sounds like Christ and Jesus are two separate people. And I could easily see how you could get there with it, but you need to understand that Christ is nobody's name. It's not a name. It's not a proper name. It's, it's not, not like Jesus' Steve last or name. Joe. No, 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 <laughs> not at all. I knew this already. I knew you knew, but it was, it was great. Say, oh, Ryan didn't know that? <laughs> what? <laughs> Our friendship is a lie. Uh, Christ is a title. It's uh, like a like doctor or uh, Mister or uh, President or Prime Minister or w whatever you want to call someone. Uh, Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the one who had come to save. That's what Christ is, and that's why it's delineated there. So he says, "You heard about Christ, or you, when you heard about the Savior." 
That's, and we're, we're, that's good, yeah. We're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, because Jesus he is, is the, savior. the Savior. Yeah. Okay. That, 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 that's a, I mean, I didn't find issue in that, but I'm glad you broke that down, you know, just in case. I hadn't noticed before that they were, they were treated separately, and so I thought it was worth addressing. And I love this. To, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what we're created for. It's not to just do our best. It's not to just, uh, try and, I mean, try, please, by all means. But know that the goal, what we're working towards, even here on this earth, is to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It's what we're called to. We're called to no less than that. Anyway, all right, verse 25. We're back to the topic of truth again. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. He quotes this, uh, in your anger, do not sin. It comes from Psalm 4. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Stay up and fight. Oh, wait, that's not in there. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Now, I know Ryan's going to want to talk about that, but we're not there yet. So hang on. No, uh, he. I just find it funny that he's the one banging the work drum. Yes, <laughs> it's there. Hard. I, I, didn't, I didn't need to. It, it's so funny because <laughs> I know this is a thing for you because you've actually quoted it recently. Uh, we were in a meeting together oh, last yes. Monday where you quoted not this, but this. Yeah. And I've been banging on this truth thing. Yeah, and I love is, that they're right here together. This is convergence right here. Oh, uh, it's it, it's some, dare I say, it's some Holy Spirit stuff. I think. Yeah. Um, it, I I think it's so. You got to put off falsehood. You've got to speak truthfully with people. It's so. It, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it more plainly than I have, and I don't want to dwell on it to the point where you tune me out. I hope the audi- that our audience goes got it. Okay. I really do. Good. But but I I think it's worth at least bringing up. I think we we've brought it up enough, but I mean I really I really if there's anyone going, I don't think tr- truth's that important. Um that it is. T- I guess I don't know what to say. I mean turn, You know what I find really is. interesting in this discussion of truth is that right in the middle of it, verse 26, in your anger do not sin. This to me implies that in our effort to promote truth we're going to get angry. Well, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Because sometimes I think as believers, we think, uh, instead of in your anger, do not sin, I think we think, if you get angry, you're sinning. Yeah, it's not. It's, Paul says, you're going to get angry. It's, this is going to make you mad. Seeing the lies and the deception that goes out in this world in the name of Jesus is going to make you mad. Don't sin. Oh, man. I, I love that. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to use this phrase really gingerly. I love that that justifies how frustrated I get sometimes with people who just aren't truthful. Sure. Okay. It's, Good it, enough. It, it, there's almost no better feeling than to be vindicated by Scripture. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, uh, and do not give the devil a foothold. So it's okay to be angry. Don't stay there. 
It doesn't do anybody any good. Because then we got to go back to verse 3 that says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of anger. <laughs> oh, no, wait. Sorry, I, peace. I caught you this time. Riley's <laughs> <laughs> paying a little Pulling more attention that. now. Over there aren't enough over. verses left to read ahead. That's really what it is. Um, and don't give the devil a foothold. If he can drive division in the church, I mean, we've been battling that for 2,000 years. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. It's right there. It's clear as day. But must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Does this mean I can't cuss? It doesn't, doesn't really say that. But I mean, what, what do you, what do you call it? My cussing? grandma said that no, it's not about This that. is where the Bible said you can't cuss. Yeah, it's not about that. It's not? No. What not, is it about? Not really, no. No? No. Uh, so so unwholesome speech or unwholesome talk. Hey, if, if you're with a, a group of people and and you cuss and someone in that group gets uh, wounded by that, then this is about that. Okay, good enough. But but if if you if you utter no profanity, I think we addressed this on another episode, but I think it's worth repeating uh, or paraphrasing. If you utter no profanity and you tell someone in the most proper English that that they have low value because of their the way they live their life, and that thou art they, worthy of camel dung. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no no curse uttered, you know, but still unwholesome. Yeah, yeah. This this more has to do with the attitude behind your speech than how you choose to arrange consonants and vowels in the language you speak. Right. All right. Good enough. I just, I just wanted to address it. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, verse 30, of the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And so uh, there's a lot of discussion in a lot of churches because it, it says here, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Does that mean this? Does that mean that? What's the unforgivable sin? Uh, in the context of verse 30, it's really clear that grieving the Holy Spirit of God is when we treat each other with bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and malice. That grieves the Spirit of God. Because we're all, as it said earlier in the chapter, we're all part of the body of Christ with Christ at the head. And so if we're a hand, say we're the left hand, and we start stabbing the right hand, that grieves the Holy Spirit. If we're shooting each other, if we're tearing down the church from the inside, I can't imagine that doesn't grieve God. Just absolutely break his heart. Don't do that. We need to be building each other up in truth, with love, in a peace, but with truth. And love. <laughs> and in, love. And peace. In peace. But definitely the truth. But definitely with truth. <laughs> and if you get angry in that process, okay, but don't sin and don't stay angry. Got it. The idea is to build this church up because he's coming. 